Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Amy, Amy, Amy. I wish everybody could see the little shoulder dance you just did with that. I, I feel like that leads me to believe you're a skilled dancer. I do like to shake my boob, but I can tell you, as a fully overweight, bald 47-year-old, uh, it doesn't look nearly as good as it did back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to think mm. about that a lot when we have we have dance parties periodically in our kitchen, and I, I look at my six-year-old, and I'm so grateful that he doesn't judge me for my dance yeah. moves or for my slight tone deaf singing that I produce some mornings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My husband, uh, my son and I were dancing to a song by Ween called Push Little Daisies. I don't know if you ever heard that. It's like, push little daisies and make them come up. It's a ridiculously <laughs> stupid song. We were dancing to that. My husband decided that he was going to go ahead and film that and then post it on Facebook. <laughs> Lots of people are like, they're like, oh, that's so great that you're dancing. And then one of my best friends from college who was a cheerleader with was like, you got fat. <laughs> Lovely. Which brings us to what we're talking about in this world of social media. How do we both be vulnerable, but also protect our privacy? How can we be authentic and not be too salesy and also bring in business? Like, how do we balance that thing that is everybody can see everything if you get that far into social media in this world today? But at the same time, like, you also don't want to be inauthentic and be like, you know, I always look perfect. Yeah. How do you how do you balance that? How do you be who you are and still get business? Great questions. I mean, I feel that, yeah, this is something that I do think about periodically. I think I've had conversations with you about my sort of online social media presence. That's not an area that I'm particularly strong. And I think it, in part of it has to do with the fact that I, I don't feel like I found that balance. I mean, I know how I don't want to be because we see those people who just post the things all the time and, you know, they always look amazing and they're always put together and there's no, it just feels like they are presenting such a shiny image of every moment of every day. And that doesn't feel authentic. There's kind of two halves of that, right? I I look perfect and I'm awesome every single point of the day. And then the leading question, like my life is terrible, dot, dot, dot. And then I wait for like the questions or like, here's me and my dying grandmother in her hospital bed. Or like, here's the giant gash in my (laughs) knee that I fell off of a skateboard yesterday. And it's like, whoa, too much, too much. So there's this, there's both sides of that. Absolutely. What about the like the mundane people are like, here's another picture of the cup of coffee that I got this morning. And it looks just like the one I got yesterday that I also posted. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so sick and tired of your memes about how you drink coffee. I get it, you drink coffee, yeah. okay. You know, I, oh, oh, this is the one that I love too, is like every single message, every single email, every single voicemail says, we really appreciate your referral. There is a real estate contingent that like, they put that on everything. And at some point it just sounds like, so really the only reason you talk to me is because you want me to bring you business? Yeah, like, well, yeah. Does that work? I mean, I think there are probably folks doing things, I mean, we all bring ourselves to this work, right? So maybe there are some people that that is how it makes the most sense 
for them to operate, I guess. I don't ever want to be that explicit. I would rather sort of stay connected to folks and stay sort of top of mind, as we say, in ways that feel more authentic to me. Like I just called an old friend on her birthday yesterday, like sending the handwritten notes. We've talked about those a lot on this podcast, like doing the things where you're genuinely checking in with people, because that's also something I would do anyway. Like that feels really true to me. That's just how I operate. And then I don't want to like slip a business card in at the end because that doesn't feel like how I want to do business. And I know there's lots of people who do. Being thankful for referrals is a really good thing. Like sending a thank you note or picking yes. up the phone and calling them and being like, hey, I'm really thankful that you sent me those people. Thank you so much. But it becomes incredibly inauthentic when it is a blanket statement. Oh, yeah. Hey, world, yeah. thank you for any referrals that you might send me in advance. Like it, that's not how gratitude works. Gratitude is something that is specific. It is in a certain point of time. It is at a certain person. It is not a fire hose that you just spray at the world and say, I'm grateful. Yeah, and then <laughs> it's not meaningful. I mean, I think it is the things that I'm the most touched by is that idea of specificity. Like, oh, thank you so much for that thing that you did and this, you know, exactly what you just said. I think that gives it so much right. more weight. And even using that referral stuff, I mean, that referral, it just feels like it's like a poke, 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 where are your referrals, poke. <laughs> Here's another email Stop from me. poking yeah, me. I don't yeah. like it. It just doesn't. Yeah, that is. I think when I started to think about going into real estate, I got a little freaked out when I thought about the sales part of it. And then yeah. I connected with some folks who don't operate in that way, who showed me a different way of approaching this business. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe this is something that I can really do. Maybe I can find a way to do it that's in the line of my values that makes sense to who I am. As far as like sales goes for us, for us, it's a bunch of breadcrumbs. Like it's breadcrumb trails. We just leave little trails yeah. all around. Like there's a little QR code in each house that we stage. Yep. And there's a little newsletter that comes out every once in a while. I'm like, here's a little something, here's a little, and like yeah. somebody mentions something. And I love it when people do the instant pricing that asks, how did you hear about us? And so often people write their own name. I heard about you from me. <laughs> because they literally don't remember how they heard about us because they heard about us in three different ways. Mm -hmm. And once you get to three different ways, you're like, I can't list all three of them. So I don't know, I just have, I've always known about you. You're a thing that exists. And I would say more than half of the pricings that we get, somebody does the pricing and they put their referral as themselves. I heard about you. <laughs> I might've done that. I might've been guilty of that. I think I'm going to start no, trying to true. be really creative about what I put in that line. Your mom, maybe, or... <laughs> Your mom. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. With this authenticity thing and, and with sales, I tend to find that the worst way to do sales is to try to sell somebody something. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing it through education or you're just doing it through interaction or if you're just doing a little reminder that's like, hey, I still exist. The absolute worst way to get business is to call someone and be like, hey, do you have any business for me? Yeah. Because like, I really need your business. And people are like, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Especially in this passive aggressive Pacific Northwest world. Yeah. Like, we do not like to be confronted that way. Yeah. It feels <laughs> it does a little feel sticky. Good to us. Yeah. So we must be very careful. Speaking of like in just incredibly good networks, people who have figured out a way to like make sales work without being salesy. Sarah Gray is here. She's in the green room. Let me go uh, grab her. I am so excited to meet her. She's in the, the yoga yurt that we just had installed. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you told me that. I would have gone back there and been like, where, the, yeah. where is so she? <laughs> you kind of have to go through the nature trail across the Japanese bridge mm -hmm. over the little stream. And then the yoga yurt is back there. 
there. Yeah. And I think we requested, I, we sent an invitation to both uh, Nicole Kidman and to, oh, who is that romance novel guy? Oh, Fabio? Fabio, Fabio, Fabio. yes. So they're both going to come do a little bit of yoga with her while they're back there. So enter quietly. It might be a very oh, zen-like space. Excellent, excellent. <sighs> Let's go. Come on in. I hate to pull you out of the green room. Every time I'm back there, it just gets better and better. Were you enjoying the yoga yurt that we just had put up? I feel so calm. Excellent. <laughs> I talked to Sarah the other day. We were trying to figure out what would make her the most comfortable as she was relaxing back in the green room. And I was like, you can have anything you want. And she was like, you know, I really like trail mix. And I was like, that is so cute. I wasn't thinking big <laughs> enough. Yeah, I'm like, what if we got you like a little yoga retreat to go with your trail mix? And then as a little surprise, we brought in guest yoga instructor, Nicole Kidman and Fabio to help her out with her form, which I thought was pretty awesome. We really shot for the stars there. <laughs> I mean, Sarah, it's Justin, right? So trail mix, like you should have known. It's got it go big known. and then go bigger. And then there you exactly. land well, so. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on the show. Sarah and I have known each other for years. You want to you want to tell the story about how we first met? Yeah, I first met you through my friend Erin McGovney, who's also a real estate agent. But at the time, I was not one. We were running a blog together, which was called I Live Here PDX. And so we were profiling local people. Oh. And I think I came to your house. And at that time, I believe that the spade and archer inventory was in your house. Like all yes. of it was in your yes. basement. And it was one of the coolest I had ever seen. I was like, who is this guy? But yeah, I took your photo and you. there were some questions and stuff. It was a fun project that we did. But yeah, at that time, I was not selling real estate. Aaron was. And shortly after that project, I ended up going into real estate as well. I love that your pads cross that you have this image of the basement full of furniture in Justin's early days. Like that is pretty priceless. Sarah. It was so cool. <laughs> and it was all organized by color, which I, I know course. you guys still do because <laughs> yes, I've been in your yes. warehouse. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to be able to see a little sneak peek of it so many years ago. It cracks me up that like the first thing you saw of our product was literally how the sausage is made and the <laughs> <laughs> that you still want to buy the sausage is very good. That is very good. <laughs> so how many years have you been doing real estate? I'm in my 10th year now. Goodness. Decade under wow. my belt. I know, time flies. I always think of us as being like new to the industry, but I mean, we we confirmed the other day during a podcast that you're considered a Portland local if you live here for more than 10 years. And so I think that once you're in real estate for 10 years, you're considered like a veteran. You're no longer new anymore. Would you say that's right? I think that's true. What was your, what was your journey to get here? Like you're, you're from here, right? Like you, I am from here. Yeah. yeah. I was born in Emanuel hospital. I grew up in Beaverton. I'm from a real estate family. And so my, my parents do this, you know, my sisters both took a crack at it at one point. I have a sister who only did it for a year, but during that year she fell in love with someone in her office. And so my brother-in-law is also an agent <laughs> and his parents are also agents. And so we, we've got kind of like a dynasty going on. So I, I thought about it for a long time. I went to journalism school. Then I worked at a newspaper for a while. That sort of led me to freelance writing and photography. And then I sort of pivoted into photography. I was a professional photographer for five or six years. Um, and then at some point, I was just kind of done doing that. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll give the old family business a try. Oh, that's great. Um, was your family like, yay, you're coming into the business? Or were they like, no, don't come into the business? They were very supportive. They were always thinking it would be a great fit. And it, and it has been. Did they put any parameters on it that were like... Not at all. I have this really wonderful, supportive family who is always just like, do what you want to do and what makes you happy. What's that yeah. like? <laughs> 
<laughs> Lovely. Um, being a former photographer, and I'm, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I Live Here PDX is still up there. That blog is still there. And you took it is still online. some photographs of me. And I, I mean, the subject matter, you know, is questionable, but the photographs themselves <laughs> are flipping beautiful. Like they are oh, so well you. done. Are you like an ex-smoker that like, <laughs> you're like, I hate cigarettes. <laughs> like, can you, are you okay with the pictures that people take of your projects? Are you super picky? Like, are you like, whatever, do your thing? I don't care. Do you ever get tempted yeah. to take your own photographs? You know, I took my own for a really long time. Okay. I actually only started consistently shopping them out. I'm going to say about two years ago. I took them for a really long time. And then at a certain point, I realized this is not a strength of mine. I always loved photographing people. In the years that I spent working as a photographer, I photographed people. I photographed weddings and portraits. Photographing interiors is not something that I had that much experience with. I could always make it work, yeah. but... At a certain point, I decided somebody else could do a better job. And yeah, I can be a little bit critical, but I, you know, I work with a photographer who I really like, and I think he does a great job and I, I really have never had any complaints. It's funny because, you know, we will call up clients and we'll say to them like, look, boss, you're paying us umpteen thousand dollars to stage mm -hmm. this house and make it look beautiful. And your photographer mm -hmm. is not doing you any justice. I never felt that with you. Just so you yes. know, your photographs were always <laughs> up to our par at least. Good, uh, but good. there have been times where we're like, it's it's kind of a waste of your money because it's got this fisheye yeah. lens and the rooms look right. ridiculous and you know right. it's just you're not doing yourselves any favors. There's such a wide gamut of from the images where you're like wow clearly someone took that with your iPhone <laughs> to the I mean there's just <laughs> such a huge range of photos that are possible in real estate. I mean I love that the fact that you came back around and were like okay this isn't necessarily what I need to be doing anymore. You know we walk in and as agents we see things we see Justin's beautiful staging or we see but I bet with that photographer eye I bet that was an interesting way for you to step in too. There is a trend with early on real estate agents where they want to take on the entire process. They are changing out the carpets. They are cleaning their and they're doing the Ann Bennett like, you know, they're getting ready for that house. What was that movie called? American Beauty. You know, oh, where yeah. she's there, she's like, yeah. I will sell this house today. Yes. I will sell this house today. <laughs> right, she's um, scrubbing. Yeah, yeah, she's like scrubbing, you know, taking their own photographs, doing their own staging. There's this point where I think you start to figure out, like, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at. What was the thing that told you, like, I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting my precious time, money, and energy doing this and not sending it out to somebody else? What was the thing that, like, clicked in your head that told you that? I think probably at a certain point, I really am a little bit of a control freak, so it was really hard for me to sort <laughs> Of like pry my fingers off those projects. But I think for me, it was just the growth of my business and also the birth of my children because there's only so <laughs> many can't minutes have it in all. the day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only so many minutes. I mean, before my kids were born, I remember I had a house out in Forest Grove. My clients moved out. They were planning to paint the kitchen cabinets. They didn't finish them. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And I went out, I drove out to Forest Grove two different days and I painted the kitchen cabinets, which is like a really tough job. And so I've done stuff like that over the years. But at a certain point, it's like I'm just one person and yeah. there are other people who can do those things better than me, too. I mean, I'm also not a professional painter, so it was like fine, but not great <laughs> as much as early on, it felt like holding on to all of those things was me giving full total service to my clients, I realized that is actually not serving them that well. Recommend somebody who's good at that stuff and then give them your whole self in the in the parts of the business that are my strengths, which right. are marketing, 
right. you know, marketing and negotiation and transaction management. You know, when it came down to like, this is the parts that I'm good at. This is what I'm what I'm able to do. That's the part of the work that is the nuts and bolts of the work. That's the the what we would call the hard skills. Mm-hmm. Then there's yeah. also the soft skills on top of that. All of the like, you know, meeting people or trying to get people into your sphere. And you've lived here your entire life. So, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure. But you were telling me yesterday about a magical formula for bringing in clients, which is be yourself in the world, be yourself in the world, just be yourself and be and get out into the world, meet people and see people and care about people. I mean, that's what it's all about. There was be yourself in the world, get out in the world, meet Mm -hmm. people in the world and treat Mm -hmm. them kindly. So there was four steps there, which I think if every real estate agent followed this step-by-step mantra, there's an abundancy mindset that you've met enough people that you have work and you're busy the whole time. Can we just run through those four steps one more time? Be yourself, get out, talk to people, be nice. And just be in the world where you're already in the world. I mean, that was a thing that I, I sort of had a breakthrough moment about this a few years ago where I realized that it was in the showing up at my kid's school and volunteering for stuff and being a helpful there or going to a social event when I was invited. And then you end up talking to people and people ask you, how's the real estate market, right? I mean, this is the question that I get asked 14 times a day. And I'm so happy to talk about it because that's something that I'm in all the time. And I'm happy to help out with that information because everybody's curious. And those end up turning into conversations of, wow, she seems really knowledgeable. Maybe we should call her when it's time to list or, or when we're looking for something new. And so it's not a calculated thing. It's just like real estate is a very social business. And so you just have to be out in the world, be a person who's helpful and kind and that stuff comes back to you. There's one very important step here that when I was in college, I was looking for a boyfriend, man. I wanted a boyfriend. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I was like, this is fitting my timeline. I got to get this done right now. And so I was like lifting weights. I was in good shape. I'd wear like a tank top and the tight jeans. And I go out to the gay bar and be like, I'm going to meet people tonight. And I would stand against a wall and no one would speak to me. And I was like, but I did all the things that I'm supposed to do. Like, I look handsome and and, and, and people should be talking to me. What I realized is that nobody will talk to me first. I have to be the person that talks to them first. And so you have to put yourself out there. I started just looking for something that I liked. I'd be like, oh, that guy has a cool hat on. So I'd walk over like, I like your hat. And we'd be like, thanks, I like your jeans. And I'd be like, fantastic, you want to go on a date? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there, there has to be somebody to initiate. And what I have found is that if we wait for somebody else to initiate the conversation, it most likely will never happen because people are out and they're with their friends. And so do you find yourself just talking to randos like constantly? <laughs> Calling them randos sounds so weird, but I mean, you know, we, we moved last summer. We're at a new elementary school. So yeah, yeah I'm, you know, and, and also it's a weird year for school. Right. Um, I'm not even allowed in the building but you know there's a whole community there that i don't know so yes yeah. you know i'm engaging with people who are random to me who i don't really know all that yet. sarah i'm wondering like because so many folks started have started this business myself included in in covid times are there ways in which you've seen your connections change or it has changed a fair amount just because we're we're in person so infrequently now but i have been able to keep some of my social stuff going in the summers. It's been much easier when we can gather outside and all of that. But you can take the same principles to, I mean, 
last night I had a online back to school night for my elementary school, you know, yeah. and I made sure to ask questions and yeah. to turn my video on and to be present for that call, you know, just making yourself visible and a visible member of your community. I mean, I feel like just in the pandemic, there's been so much more communication on next door and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like just be a member of your community, be a helper. And I think you can do it online. It's not as fun, but <laughs> <laughs> there's also, yeah. there's the weird way to yeah. do it too. When you're on that zoom and you're like, you feel like, go ahead and ask your question, Sarah. You're like, hi, Sarah Gray, local real estate agent. I'll be <laughs> glad to ask this question. I'll take your referrals at the end. Like if, if it's too much, then yeah. it's like, you know, right. Right. It's not being authentic. Yeah. It's not being yourself, yeah. right? You just need to be genuine and be yourself and let people come around to maybe they want to work with you and maybe they don't. Maybe they just want to be your friend and be a fellow PTA member. That's fine. Yeah. You know, the people who are meant to work with you in a professional capacity will. And you, I don't think you have to sell yourself like that, or at least I don't. Yeah. You know, I know I know a lot of people do and, and there's a lot of different styles, but that's just not really how I roll. Yeah. There's different approaches to this business. And I, I love what you're yeah. saying about, you know, when you're not working with, to use jobs. Justin's word, when you're not working with the randos or when the randos become people that you, that trust you a little bit before you get into more of a business relationship. I just feel like that foundation of trust is so much nicer than the person who sees your name on a billboard somewhere, not to knock that approach, but it's just different. I am not afraid of the randos because you talk to the randos and within three minutes, they're going to know if you are their person or not. Yeah. And it's if true. you're not their Very person, true. they're going to self-select and get yeah. out of your way and move on to the next one. And if they are your kind of people, because I'm, I polarize people. I don't know about you guys, but like <laughs> I opened up a conversation and I was like, yeah, you know, I've got this weird rash. And I'm like, I go just like straight to it. And like, if, if they're my people, they will come with me. If they're not, cool. It's that vulnerability piece for sure. That's awesome. We were talking a little bit uh, yesterday about the urban boundary in Portland. Can you talk about what is the urban boundary? Yeah, the urban growth boundary is a literal red line on a map, a dividing line that surrounds our metro area. Um, it's part of the sort of forward thinking urban planning that the state of Oregon and Metro did in the 1970s. And so it's supposed to prevent urban sprawl, essentially, in our city. You probably know it if you've ever taken a drive out to Hillsborough or out to Gresham and you're driving and it's suburbs, 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 farmland. That's the urban growth boundary. That's where that is. It's become something that I've, it's just very interesting to me as someone who watches housing trends and growth trends for our city to watch as we try to deal with the growth that our city and our state have been experiencing at the same time as we try to maintain that urban growth boundary. Because all those people have to go somewhere. And so, you know, there's so much happening at the city of Portland and in Metro, even in the whole state of Oregon, in terms of putting all of these new legislations into place that will allow us to increase our density within the existing footprint of our metro area, which has been a little bit controversial. But as a realtor, I think it's awesome. Also, as someone who grew up here, you know, somebody who I don't want to see it sprawl like Seattle does or like Boise or like or some LA. of these other cities that are just, yeah. yeah, they just sprawl until they hit the ocean. And that's, I mean, the fact that this was done in the 70s is like the only reason why we don't have that just because we were such a smaller place then. Um, and we sort of got a ahead of it. But I think all this new stuff, the residential infill project, which is in the city of Portland, and then, you know, there's been these new house bills in Oregon, and the whole state of Oregon that will allow almost any residential lot to have a duplex or a triplex on it, right. um, which I think is cool. It's 
better. It's better for the planet. You know, it's that sprawl is not good. You know, it's more concrete and more impervious surface and all of that. And more traffic just for the human Way beings. more traffic. Yeah. Yeah. And more idling in your car and all of that. You end up with not just a suburbs, you end up with exurbs that are mm-hmm. even exactly. further out and you get longer commute times and the freeway infrastructure right. is not built for it. You end up with, you know, a city like Boise that is a quarter of the size of Portland and commute times are two to three times longer than the average Portland commute time. They have not put in that freeway infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. You take a city like San Francisco that has a natural urban boundary called the ocean. The ocean, right? Yeah, like you literally just cannot go anywhere further than that. And you look at the way that, that San Francisco has grown up, everybody there takes public transport because a car is so ridiculously expensive to have and inconvenient. Manhattan is an excellent example of an urban growth boundary that naturally happens. In Portland, it's a little bit interesting, though, in that as the density becomes more dense, the boundary will actually get larger. And so once we have enough density, it changes. Has it changed since it started in the 70s or is it always been the same? They've expanded it a number of times. Yeah. The last expansion, I want to say, was like, I mean, time flies. So I hate saying something that happened in the last couple of years because I feel like things that happened a year ago were actually five (laughs) years ago. It's really confusing. It was fairly recent. I think it was probably about five years ago. And they expanded it in a couple of places. I work more on the west side than on the east side. So um, I always think of that like North Bethany area. If you've heard of that whole expansion happening up there, then there's a lot of expanding sort of southwest Beaverton as well. Mm-hmm. And so they those are areas that they expanded it there. Um, and there's just huge, you know, if you think of like where Mountainside High School is and Cooper mm-hmm. Mountain, and mm-hmm. that's the part of Beaverton where I grew up. And, you know, I used to laugh at my mom because we like we lived off of like Murray Road in Beaverton. I know a lot of people are not super familiar with Beaverton, but my mom used to say when I moved here in the late 70s, there were orange groves here. And I was like, yeah, 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 mom. And now I drive up over Cooper Mountain and I'm like, this was all farmland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not more. It's really changed a lot. But yeah, they, they have done some sort of strategic opening up of that of that boundary. And I, and I expect that that will continue to happen. But like, let's be strategic about it, right? Instead of just saying like, yeah, just build, you know, until you hit the ocean. So tell <laughs> us about how that urban growth boundary ends up affecting real estate and how real estate changes in terms of that. What does that look like for you and your business? I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, the, not the urban growth boundary specifically. You know, I think the urban growth boundary specifically is sort of a constraint that has always been, as long as I've been doing this and as right, long that, as a lot of people That have, causes right? that whole density thing. Right. So where do we go from there? Right, exactly. The density thing is going to be very interesting. Um, I mean, the city of Portland and some of the other jurisdictions have sort of jumped on the bandwagon, have really been pushing ADUs. What's an ADU? It's an accessory dwelling unit. Okay. So that's generally a whole separate, like generally like an apartment. They're 800 square feet or smaller. Like sometimes they call it a mother-in-law suite or a granny flat or, you know, there's all these different names. Tiny houses. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny houses are technically a little bit different. An ADU, yes, is an accessory dwelling unit. So it's a smaller separate unit from the main house on the same property. And so we we see those developed sometimes out in a yard. So you'll see a standalone one or you'll see one where they've converted a basement, they've added on, but they're just on the same property. Now, some people have gotten really 
like done some really interesting things with that. Like I saw a couple of developers do this thing where they had a main house, they put an ADU on the back, then they turned both of them instead of having them be owned by a single owner and use one as a rental or a place to put family, they turned them legally into condominiums. Mm -hmm. So there was unit A and unit B. Mm -hmm. And then you could sell each one to a different person. But they had to have a shared interest in the common elements, like an HOA, kind of a homeowners association. Exactly. Yeah. There was a homeowners association. So I thought that was really interesting. I saw it a few times in the course of a couple of years, and then I haven't seen it since. So that's interesting. I don't know if it didn't pencil out or if it didn't speak to people. But anyway, they've been pushing the ADUs for a number of years. You know, there, for a long time, there was a program, um, an SDC waiver program in Portland, where you basically did not have to pay system development charges to put an ADU on your property, which could save you like $30,000. Yeah. Really a big savings. That still exists, but only if you're not using it for an overnight rental. If you're using it for an overnight rental, anytime in the next 10 years, you cannot have that SDC waiver. You have to pay your... It's an overnight rental like an Airbnb. Airbnb, Right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And so they've been really pushing that. But then now we've got two new things, the House bills, which I can't remember the exact numbers of them, but two House bills passed on the Oregon State Legislature and the Residential Infill Project passed in the city of Portland. They both have sort of similar implications, which is essentially allowing up to three units on almost any residential lot in the state. And so that's just really interesting to see how that's going to shift things. And, you know, I haven't seen a ton of that development happening yet. I mean, I do see ADUs going up and all of that, but it'll be really interesting to figure out how we evaluate properties like that. I mean, we've had properties with ADUs for a very long time, but they yeah. continue to be a small minority of properties. And so the question is, what is it worth? You know, I think the average ADU costs $275,000 to build. So it's not a small investment in your property. Then the question becomes, well, how does that property appraise? Because what are the chances that you're going to be looking at comps that include an ADU. A very small chance of that. It could be additional income too. And so that's going to change the value of that house. And so there's just a lot of things there. And there's going to be a lot of changes. I think I think developers are going to take advantage of that program. And I think it is going to up our urban density, which I think is a positive thing overall. I'm curious to see how it's going to change things is the sort of non-answer answer there. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm trying to keep myself as informed as I possibly can and, and doing a lot of research as to how this is changing things and keeping track of those kinds of things. I am loosely aware of some of these changes. And obviously, as a newer agent, I still feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose. Uh, so <laughs> I kind of dip into things and then have to put them down so I can function in my <laughs> in my daily life. But where, where would you suggest someone like me or someone that maybe just didn't have the background? Like, clearly, this is a thing for you. It's amazing to hear you speak about it. Where would you send us for information? Or where would you start looking into this? Earth Advantage. Earth Advantage is doing a really good job of offering continuing education courses on all of this. They have an ADU specialist program, and they've also had some continuing ed courses specifically about the residential infill project and those new house bills. I've learned a lot from there. And then, you know, my other recommendation is sort of on a deeper level, if you want to go really deep. Um, so I would really like to develop an ADU. I've been kicking it around for a while. Ooh. You know, I've got to find the right spot for it. But there's this guy. His name is Cole Peterson. He is like the ADU guy. He doesn't work for the city, but like uh -huh. he knows everything about ADUs. He has made it his life mission. He's written a book. There's a great book. And he, I don't know if he still does this, but I think he does. He did it a couple years ago for me. He will come out to your property for a couple hundred bucks and tell you this won't work here. 
or this will work here. You know, I thought I've got a perfect spot for an ADU. And he came out and he said, you're too close to this tree because it's too big of a circumference. And the city of Portland is very protective of big trees. He's a really creative Mm -hmm. thinker and he's kind of a consultant on it. So I always tell clients if they're thinking about developing an ADU, talk to this guy because he knows everything about it. Mm -hmm. But he's also written a book. So, you know, you can also glean a lot of knowledge from the book as well. We'll put links to both of those in the description. Tell us about your absolute worst day in real estate. The lady you were like, well, why am I doing this? I have children. And when my first son was born in summer of 2014, I didn't know how to take time off. I just thought, okay, well, the baby will come and we'll just figure it out. which was, you know, for a planner was not all that in character, but I didn't really know it was about to hit me. (laughs) The size of the hurricane that was coming my direction. And so I remember I had some clients. I took them out and showed them four houses. My son was seven days old. I had him in the carrier. He was a tough baby and I had had a tough time getting him into the world. And I was literally still bleeding from giving birth. I went, I took him in the carrier. We walked into the house. I was like swinging it. So, you know, shh, shh. Shh, It's got three bedrooms. You know, it's like (laughs) I'm trying to multitask. My my clients were so sweet about it, but it was awful. And I just like, I, I just got through it. And then I just bawled afterward. You know, I just, I did that for a long time. I didn't have any maternity leave with him. And I took all this time building a business before he was born. And I didn't want to lose it. I wanted to hold on to it so tight and not lose it. I just kept going. And I was telling Justin the other day, I would go, I would meet a client, I would show the house, I would bring the baby out, I would put him in the car, I'd be like, bye, see you guys next time. I would drive around the corner, find a shady spot to park, climb into the backseat, nurse the baby, cry. Oh, Sarah. Uh, it was fucking oh, awful. Yes. It was fucking awful. Your, your clients are like, if we just, if we buy this house, will you please stop showing us houses? Stop. Just go home and lay (laughs) down. And everyone I worked with through that time was so gracious and generous, but I just felt like I couldn't be vulnerable and I couldn't let my life circumstances show because they would think I wasn't being professional or something like that. You said something the other day when we were talking, and I thought it was really interesting, is that when you are an entrepreneur or you're a, a solo business person, there is nobody who tells you please take time off and go take care of yourself. As a yeah, business owner, no. I I tell my employees by giving them vacation and sick time and saying like, you have to use this or you're going to lose it. I'm literally right. telling them, take care of yourself. You have my right. permission to do that. We are so much more tolerant of punishment for ourselves than we are for the people <laughs> around us. You would never allow your kids to do that. But yet we treat ourselves that way but all I the time. But I did it to myself. So you have a second kid. Did you do it again? No, I took maternity leave the second uh, how? How did you do it? More than 50% of real estate agents are female. And so, yeah, right. you know, they're having kids. Right. How the fuck did you do that? <laughs> yes. It was really hard. And there is no real roadmap for it. So it's going to look different for everybody. But here's how it looked for me. I had a colleague. We started selling real estate right around the same time. So we've had some sort of parallel journeys. I reached out to him when I found out I was pregnant with my second. Actually, this is funny. I reached out to another agent who I thought maybe could cover me on maternity leave. And then like, she said, yes, great. I'd love to. And then two weeks later, she called me. She said, the problem is I'm now pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious. So I, don't think this, I don't think this is going to work. So anyway, I reached out to my cl- my colleague, Paul Rassler, and I said, um, I want to figure out a way that I can take like two or three months off. Is there any way that you could cover for me during that time? And what we did was we just negotiated a basically like a referral split on all the things. And so when I was ready and I and I stopped working, I think 
10 days before the baby was born. I sent him like a whole list. This is who I'm working with. This is all the contact information. I mean, it was a ton of upfront work. Emailing all my clients, Paul's going to be covering for me while I'm on maternity leave. You know, if you guys absolutely need me, let Paul make that call, you know, and just sort of trying to like insulate myself from all of it happening. And then, yeah, we we negotiated a referral where he was basically giving me a referral on all the stuff that he was handling and he just handled it. It was really awesome. I want to follow up with that, Sarah, because I feel like, again, this is so valuable. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I just get to ask all the questions I want to ask. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is so hard to put it down. It's so hard. I mean, maternity yeah. leave, I just can't even imagine, you know, the the leap of faith it took to just take that time off. And I'm sure it was like one of the best things you ever did. Do you regularly now put it down? Are you able to take time? <laughs> does that get easier? Please tell me it does. <laughs> I haven't. I'm not sure I've totally learned that lesson, unfortunately. But yeah, my dad has been doing this for like 26 years. And mm-hmm. he he does this thing where he has a colleague who covers for him. And the night before he gets on the airplane to leave town, he gives his phone to this guy. He just gives his whole phone. So when the phone rings, Todd picks it up. That's kind and then he of says, amazing. <laughs> he says to the rest of us, if you need me, Call your mother. And so I'm like, I'm aspiring to this. I have not done it yet. But so much of my personal life is on my phone. And, you know, my dad's an older guy. He doesn't have so much of his life on his phone like I do. So I'm still working out how I could make that work. But I'm really inspired by these. Yes. I love that idea. Even if you don't take it all the way there. We're going to get to your best day in just a second. But I do have one more question. To me, a client that is not okay with you taking maternity leave and going with somebody else probably isn't your your people. Did you Absolutely. have anybody that you that were just like, no, we're not doing that? I did not have anyone during maternity leave. I have only had one client ever who had an issue with me not being exactly present exactly when they wanted me to be. Are they still a client? No. There you go. I asked them, I think we should cut ties here. I, I remember I was at a, yeah, I was at a wedding. I was like, I can talk to you in three hours. And they said, that's not acceptable. And I was like, then we're done. <laughs> Mazel tov. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes it very clear. Thank you. Totally. Everybody's been so generous. And there are times in real estate when you have to be present for people, yes. right? We're in the middle of a live negotiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will tell my children bedtime is an hour later tonight. Like that, I am very committed to my clients, but there are other times when you do not need me right now and I will be able to get back to you. Like the wedding. I'm sure that was a scenario where nothing was on fire. There was nothing on fire. Yep, absolutely. So it's context, right? And maybe that's the trick to it too, is knowing when is something on fire or is it not? And if it's not, then you enjoy the wedding. If I don't answer the phone right now, are they still going to get the house? Yeah. If I don't answer the phone right now, is everything going to be okay tomorrow? Yeah. And if it's not, then I I figure it out. But we don't need to have our lives completely on call to whoever wants them. You know, yes. it's not, yeah. that's not necessary. Yes. Yeah, there's so much wisdom in that, Sarah. Learning, I mean, that's probably a, good, a significant step in the direction of just learning to put it down sometimes. Tell us about your absolute best day in real estate. I have a lot of really good ones, but the one that comes to mind is, is a fairly recent one. I have these wonderful, enthusiastic, sweet clients, and they won a bidding war after they had lost one or two, and they were devastated over losing these ones. They found this house they really loved. We went in, we won the bidding war. And I called them to say, you got the house. And he answered the phone and they have little kids and they were like with family also. And and he answered the phone and he, I said, Alec, you got the house. And he goes, really? Oh my gosh, it's 
so great. Hold on. I got to tell Caitlin. And then there was like this shuffle and he was like, uh, hey, dad, can you take the baby? Okay, hold on. And then he like was running, he was running to find his wife and he like couldn't get a door open because he wasn't in his own house. He's like, hold on. How does this lock work? And I was hearing the whole thing. And then he got to Caitlin, Caitlin. And then he put me on speaker. Tell her we got the house. And everybody's like, woo. It was just so fun. It was so fun. It's just giving good news is the best. It's just the best feeling to be able to be the messenger of great news. Sarah, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is realtor underscore Sarah Gray. That's no H and an A in gray, not an E. That's right. It's a deceptively complicated name. Um, (laughs) I like to throw confetti at people when they close on their houses uh, for buyers. And so that's that's a fun thing on my Instagram. I also have my own podcast, which you can find me on. It's called Cookbook Club. It's not real estate related. Look at me having a hobby outside of work. <laughs> That's inspiring. <laughs> that is inspiring. Cookbook Club. Okay, I want to check that yeah, out. Yeah, Cookbook Club. We, if you're a home cook, it's uh, all about cookbooks and home cooking. Rachel Ray's 365 saved my marriage, just so you know. SarahGray.net is my website. Sarah Gray is a real estate agent in the Portland metro area with John L. Scott. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. If you want to head back to the green room, I'm sure that Nicole and Fabio will want to give you some more lessons in, in sure. if you've got time for some yoga. It's going to chill out for the rest of the afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh, what a cool lady. She just brought such a wealth of information too. I, I feel like I just wanted to continue asking her questions that were mostly relevant to me. So sorry if that was a, <laughs> she just brought so much. No, I think that's exactly why you're on this show is because I'm not a first year real estate agent. I'm a 13th year home stager. <laughs> and I don't know what the what a first year real estate agent would ask. And so you're asking like all the right oh, questions. Oh good, I'll just it's continue fantastic. to elbow you out of the way periodically. And, and I'm like, wait, wait, I wanna ask, I've got this, I've, I've got, got this. Yeah, right here. yeah. and yes. I feel like with Sarah, I mean, we've had such great folks on the show, but there was definitely a handful of people that I've just wanted to keep talking to. And she was one of them. I definitely am stuck with this image of her painting the cabinets doing a moderate, a moderately good job painting the cabinets for clients there in that picture. I, I have to confess, I spent some time in a kitchen with uh, Henry, who's Glenn, Glenn's painter. You probably, know, I don't know if you know Henry, Justin, but he was starting to paint one side of the kitchen and I was perf- I was using his professional degreaser to clean the other side of the kitchen. Oh, like, like trisodium phosphate? It was like yeah, something TSP. that was so horrible. Not good for you. No, not- and I did a little bit of that and then I just just had this moment of like, oh my gosh, like what? There were all kinds of circumstances that led up to that particular scenario, but I was just struck by Sarah saying, oh, you can't. Wait, or are, you, are you in a client's house doing oh, this? Oh yeah, sorry. Did I not mention that? Yeah. And how much did they pay you for that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you, did you raise your commission for that? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. For this much of a commission, I scrub grease off of your dirty kitchen walls. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it was, you know, lessons learned. I was a appreciating that she shared the painting story too, because it's so hard to not try and do it all. And it's hard sometimes to know when to stop, I think, especially as a newer agent, when you you want to do it all because you're enough of a control freak and you want it to come out okay and you want the house to be perfectly ready for staging. So one in five businesses survives the first year. Yeah. One in five. So and the reason why one in five businesses survive
survive in the first year is usually financial. It usually comes down to they run out of money and yeah. so they just can't do it anymore. After the first year of those one of the five businesses, again, one in five businesses survives the first five years and it is not because of finances. It is because the business owner is spread too thin and <laughs> cannot maintain the business by themselves. So they've got plenty of money coming in, but they've kept such tight control yeah. over what's going on that they literally can't do it. And so I really like to look at the real estate agent as an entrepreneur, as starting their own business and doing their own thing. And it's really easy when you have your first listing, you know, to go Annette Benning on it, yes. to vacuum all the floors <laughs> and clean the house and, and do the and do the open yourself and do the every single aspect of the entire listing on your own. When you start doing 10 or 12 or 20 listings a month yeah that becomes an impossibility that's not it's not possible for you to maintain that much work yeah. and the real estate agents that make it past that fifth year are the ones who are able to say i'm not super good at taking photographs i'm not really good at doing home staging i'm not super, i'm not the best person to paint cabinets i am really good at maybe i'm writing my copy maybe i'm good at doing the marketing maybe i'm super good at those interpersonal relationships or maybe I'm the negotiator. Yeah. And it's, it really is interesting because I think right now you are going through that process where you're figuring out what it is that you're good at and what it is that you're not good at. So yes. what are some of the things that you've you have said, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah. Sorry. Well, um, <laughs> I, I don't work on people's greasy kitchens anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You're not yeah. a TSP girl. No, Got I'm not it. a TSP girl. I would say stepping into the coordination role is really... Mm-hmm. and A concierge. Yes, exactly. I mean, who can I bring together? Like, I'm working on some uh, on a listing prep with a person, just this lovely person who I've given a list of things to do. And we've gone through that list and we've established who does he know that can do these things and who do I need to bring in? So I am very good at then connecting him. Like we've got the junk luggers coming today. I think that's the actual name of the business. They're wonderful. Yeah. Cause that sounded racist. Yes. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they are, I mean, I think being the person who does that concierge role is absolutely what I need to do. And that does not mean that on occasion I'm not going to take my Windex over to the listing that's going live tomorrow and make sure there's no smudges on the front door because I don't feel I feel like that is vitally important that you know you come through and you have an eye for those things and you're willing to do the little details to really make something shine but I definitely think that my time is better spent doing that and the other pieces and not scrubbing or painting cabinets my goodness I am a terrible painter I just don't have an eye for that sort of detail We've got a client, Nancy Chapin, up in Seattle. She's on the show before, and she used to do all of the house prep concierge part herself. She actually hired a project manager, and I think Get Happy at Home does as well. They have a project manager. They don't actually do it. They don't scrub the walls yeah. and stuff, but they just do all of the coordination. They basically act like a GC yes. to go, a general contractor to go through and get all of the things done that need to get done, yeah. from yard prep to window cleaning to the interior cleaning of the house to home staging to the whole thing. It's really interesting because this person knows exactly what Nancy wants out of yes. the prep. She'll have a couple meetings with her, and they work together 
together and then she goes through and she actually does all the prep, she gets it done. I've noticed that with sometimes with real estate agents, even working with us, some real estate agents want to like fill out the instant pricing. They want to fill out the, the contract form. They want to see the DocuSign document. They want to do the whole thing. Other people are like, here's a link to their website, hire these people. Yeah. And they make the client go through and do it. And it just depends on like how you feel like your client can do it. Maybe you have an 85 year old client yeah. who's not going to understand how to fill out an instant pricing form. Yeah. And so it really just depends. Like what, what are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you like? What else are you just like? Nope, not, I don't do that. Sorry. I think there's a, I'm trying to think, I don't know if I have any, any, any obvious hard lines in the sand as far as that goes, but I do think I try and be, as you just noted, like, I'm not going to ask my 80 year old client to fill out something online that doesn't make sense to her. I'm, I'm happy to do that. And then I also have other clients that because of their personality, I know they're going to want to do that. And it's going to make more sense to give them a little bit of responsibility in all of yeah. this. You know, what people are comfortable handing over to you is really yeah. varied too. Because they are not afraid to ask. No, huh? They're so, not afraid to yeah, ask. Some people are like, I need you to do all of these things. And some people sort of dip in and ask for your advice as they're working through kind of a list we've come up with together. I can't tell you how many times real estate agents have asked us. They're like, so you guys are going to clean the house before you stage it, right? Like, no. And they're like, well, when are you going to send us the photographs? Honey, we're not your photographer. Yeah. Like, we don't know. Yeah. We don't do that. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Or the, we had a client who's like, get really upset with us. Like, we left the house and you guys didn't clean it. You staged it and you left it dirty. And we're like, yeah, I'm so sorry. We're not janitorial companies. And I'll clean your house. It's going to cost you $4.2 million because I'm the world's most expensive cleaning person. <laughs> yes. But I will take care of it for you for the right price. But I'm not cleaning your house for free. Yes. <laughs> what world do you live in? Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes sense to me that, that you have bumped into those questions too. Have you ever considered doing more, like, would you offer light painting or handy? Like, would you, would you ever do that? We actually sent out a survey this past week to a bunch of our real estate agents that said like, hey, we are considering doing prep work for homes, like, you know, landscaping, um, installing fixtures, painting, carpet, cleaning, that kind of stuff, like for the slow months during the winter. And we're still looking at it. We're trying to figure yeah. out like if that's something that people really even want from us. Interesting. So, yeah, we're thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, there's such, yeah. such variety of, I think there are situations in which it makes so much sense to turn that over to somebody. Yeah. Did you get that survey? I did. Did you get, did you receive it? I did. <laughs> I set you up for that one. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Amy, where can people find you? I am at amyromberg.com. Amy Romberg is a real estate agent here in Portland, Oregon. Our guest today was Sarah Gray. You can find her at, on Instagram at realtor underscore Sarah Gray. That is with no H. Our Music was composed, written, and performed by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. I want to say thank you so much to all the folks that have reached out to tell us their story. It's been such a pleasure interviewing these people. And uh, if you've got a story that you want to tell, you should reach out and find us. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Just click on the podcast link. We would love to hear your story. We'll see you next time. Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.